Hello, neighbor, and welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to establishedinthefaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 21, and we hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. First chapter of Revelation is dealing with the perfect age which is to come. This earth and the heaven surrounding it is going to be renovated by fire. Everything that sin has corrupted uh, is just going to be done away with. Even the oceans which are a result of past judgments on sin, the Bible says they will be no more. This renovation of fire is going to do away with everything that sin has corrupted and in its wake it's going to leave a brand new surface in which will dwell righteousness and holiness. If you look there in verse 4, Revelation 21 and verse 4, the Bible says that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. When it says that God will wipe away the tears, it's not going to be an actual washing of the face. It might be that, but actually what this is talking about, God is going to deal with the very cause of the tears. Those things are going to be done away with, and never again will the things that kill, steal, and destroy uh, be in this world to do what it does. If you look there in verse 5, it says that he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Now, yes, there's going to be a brand new surface in which will dwell righteousness and holiness. But when this word new is used, it's meaning that not only will it be new as far as coming into existence, but it speaks of God's presence being here at that time. And His very presence is what's going to keep it new uh, and looking fresh constantly. We don't know what that is. Uh, we go to the store and buy a new car, and, and as soon as we drive it off the lot, it's depreciated. And uh, you go out there a couple days later, and it's dirty. You go out there a week later, it's got a dent in it or a scratch on it. And, you know, these things break down and tear down and whatever the case. But it's hard to imagine an environment, a place that will never get old. God's presence will keep it looking fresh and new for all eternity, really, when you get right down to it. In verse 2, John said he saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God 
out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now this is the eternal home that the Lord has prepared for you and I. He told his disciples, he said, I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, then I will come again and receive you unto myself. This is the place that the Lord has prepared. Now, what we're reading here in this chapter is not symbolism. These things don't symbolize anything. These, um, this is an actual place. John gives us a lot of detail here about the city. He even gives us dimensions if you'll look down in verse 16. Revelation 21, verse 16. The city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Uh, those figures come out to be around 1,500 miles square. That's how big uh, the city is. Haven, do you have that? picture we had the other week of the United States. Okay, it ain't no big deal on that. But this, this city is absolutely huge. It would cover half of the United States. Um, she's probably still trying to pull it up. But if we place the southeast corner in Dallas, Texas, and then traveled 1,500 miles west the southwest corner would be in Los Angeles, California. If we left there and traveled 1,500 miles north, the northwest corner would be in Vancouver, British Columbia. If we were to leave there and travel east, the northeast corner would be in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, so I think she's pulling it up there on the screen. There it is. So you can see it, it, it would cover half of the United States. Now, like we stated the other week, the holy city, the New Jerusalem, is not going to be located in the United States. It's going to be over there in Jerusalem, where Jerusalem is now. But that gives you an idea of the size of the holy city. Now, if that's not big enough for you, it's also 1,500 miles high. Our minds can't comprehend that. He goes on to talk about the walls, Revelation 21 and verse 17. He measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits. Now that figures out somewhere around 216 feet high. Think of that. And it's made of very precious, colorful stones, as you can see there in those next few verses. Now, this wall has 12 gates. And you can see that there in verse 21. Now, these gates are evenly spaced out on each side of the city, which means they are somewhere around 375 miles apart uh, from each other. And each one of these gates is named after one of the 12 tribes of Israel, which that's an amazing thing to me. We have just recently finished up with our study of Joseph, and we know how evil and wicked his brothers were. 
These are the men that have their names inscribed on the gates of that city. They gave their hearts to the Lord, and the Lord saved them. Folks, that's grace. That's grace. If you'll look there in verse 21... Revelation 21, verse 21, it says that the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and every several gate was of one pearl. The pearl comes from oysters or clams, mussels, and this animal is is wounded in some way. Uh, A parasite or a piece of sand gets inside that shell, and it's very irritating. And that oyster has no way of, of getting rid of it. It gets in there and it gets stuck in there. Very irritating. And as a form of protection, a defense mechanism, it builds up a layer of nacre around that piece of sand or that parasite and encapsulates it in there, if you will. And it continues to wrap or encapsulate that piece of sand and over a period of time it it hardens and forms a pearl the gates of the new jerusalem are made of pearl if the wall is 216 feet high that's gives you some idea of how tall that gate is going to be and if they're made of pearl i want you to imagine the size of that oyster that made that pearl. I mean, that thing's absolutely huge. <laughs> and, uh, of course, all things are possible with God. We have absolutely no idea of what God has out there in the universe. Someone asked a question, is there life on other planets? I think there is. When someone would ask the question, well, then why hasn't God told us about it in his word? Well, right now, the main thing we need to be concerned about is our soul and the sin problem that that we have and what God has done to fix that sin problem, which is to place our faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary. But the point I want to make about that is this. The only entrance into that city is through those gates of pearl, which come from an animal that was wounded. And Haven, if you will, put up Isaiah 53, verse 1. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded. Notice that, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes ye are healed. 
And we all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Those gates are made of pearl, which come from an animal that was wounded. Jesus Christ was wounded for you and I. He took upon himself the judgment that you and I should have received. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 9, he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Let's look at the latter half of Revelation 21, verse 21. Revelation 21, verse 21, the latter half of that verse, talks about the streets of the city being made of pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. In the tabernacle and the temple of old, uh, the gold that was used there and that was applied to the furnishings symbolized the deity of Christ. And the streets of the holy city are paved with pure gold, and the whole city is made of it as well. This not only speaks of the deity of Christ, but the purity of Christ as well. This gold is so pure and perfect, it's likened unto transparent glass, John said. There's nothing like it known in this present world. Only God could do such a thing. And let me tell you, only the pure are going to walk on it. I want you to think about what I've just said. These streets of pure gold, almost like transparent glass, only those that are pure are going to walk on it. Now, here's the thing. You and I are not pure. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And even when we try to do right, the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. So within ourselves, it's not there. There is no righteousness and holiness here. Only that can come from God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on Calvary, he took our sins and he freely gave us his righteousness. But the only way we can have it is through and by faith in his finished work. And we have to walk in that. Understand. Someone told me this past Sunday, said, Brother James, sometimes when I pray, I don't, I don't feel anything. I, there are times when I don't feel the Lord and, and whatever the case. We don't walk by what we feel, ladies and gentlemen. We walk by faith. And it's faith in what Christ has done. We can't go by our feelings. Our feelings can be deceiving. I know a lot of people that appear to be happy in whatever the case, but they're not right with God. They have not accepted Christ as their Savior. There's nothing worse than a false sense of salvation. A person that thinks they're saved and they're not. Jesus said, there will be many that come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name and that in your name and many wonderful works? And Jesus said, I will say unto them, depart from me, workers of iniquity, I never knew you. So you got a lot of people doing good works and they think those works save them. 
But the only thing that will save them is simple faith in Christ and what he did. And we have to walk by faith in his finished work. When we do that, that opens up the door for the Holy Spirit to work within our hearts and lives. And Haven and I was talking about that uh, the other day, about how the Holy Spirit works within our lives. That's a general statement, and I make it quite often, but let me go a little deeper with that if I can. The Holy Spirit will point out things in your life that ought not to be there he'll point out things in your life that ought to be there that is not so the lord the holy spirit will commune with you and he'll deal with you about these things he'll bring certain people across your path and into your life and and really to be honest with you 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 really don't have a whole lot in common with these people you really i'd rather avoid those people But I consider these people to be like Holy Ghost sandpaper. God brings those people into your lives to to show you some things. There's just some people that get up under your skin and push your buttons, if you know what I mean. And the Lord knows how to bring those people into your life to, to show you some things about yourself that really you wouldn't even know was there unless those people were there. So whoever it is in your life that's getting under your skin, the Lord's using that person to draw you closer to him. Because every time you see them coming, you're like, oh, Lord, help me. (laughs) Well, that's drawing you closer to the Lord, ain't it? Well, the Lord will help you with that. But the Lord's trying to show us things about ourselves because none of us are perfect. And how do you know to fix something if you don't know it's broke? So once the Lord points out these things, realize that still within yourself, you're not able to bring about these changes that need to be made, whatever they may be. And we're going to have to just say, Lord, you've got to help me here. You're going to have to help me be conformed more into the image of Christ and to be Christ-like in whatever situation I come into. This is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans 8 and verse 13, if you will, Haven. Romans 8, 13. It's up to us, once the Holy Spirit points out things, it's up to us to mortify the deeds of the body, to kill those things that we're doing that we ought not to be doing. He said, for if you live after the flesh, if you try to live for God by the ways and means of the flesh, by your education, your talent, your ability, uh, the list could go on and on there. That's not going to work. If you could live for God like you ought to, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come into this world and die. So he said, if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if you through the Spirit... The Spirit, that's your key. Do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now, the way the Holy Spirit works is by us keeping our faith in Christ and what he did. It's one thing to get saved. It's another thing to stay that way and to maintain that salvation. And the way you maintain that salvation is keeping your faith anchored there, and the Holy Spirit will work in your life. Now, some of the changes that need to be made won't happen overnight. It takes 
takes a little time. Not that it takes God any length of time to do anything, but it's just what God's got to work with. And if you'll be honest with yourself, and i be honest with myself, the Lord really ain't got a whole lot here to work with when you get right down to it. At any rate, let's look at verse 22, Revelation 21, verse 22. John said, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Now, as we've read through and studied the book of Revelation, we have seen time and time again of there being a temple in heaven. Um, Revelation 3 and 12. Haven, if you'll pull that up. Revelation 3 and 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Pull up Revelation 7 and 15. Revelation 7 and 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. All right, Revelation 14 and verse 15. We can see it again there. Revelation 14 and verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple. But John said here in Revelation 21 verse 22 that there was no temple. So is there a contradiction here in the scripture? No, there's not a contradiction because the the temple that is mentioned in these other verses is mentioned as being in heaven. And what John is talking about here is the holy city, which at this point in time has left the planet heaven and is coming down to planet earth at this time. And there'll be no need of a temple at that time. Why? The Bible tells us right there that the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb shall be the temple. All right, let's look at verse 23, Revelation 21, verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now, I want you to notice that it didn't say that there would be no more moon or no more sun at that time. Because the sun and the moon are eternal. Let me give you some scripture for that. Genesis 8, 22. Genesis 8, 22. While the earth remaineth seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, shall not cease. That means forever. The sun and the moon are eternal. This earth is eternal. This earth is not going to be destroyed. It's not going to be eliminated. It's going to be renovated by fire, which means it's going to be changed from one condition to another. So what is Revelation 21 and verse 23 talking about when it says that the city had no neither the sun, neither of the moon? It means that God is there. And God is light, and in him there is no darkness. He is the light of that city. And there's no need of the sun nor of the moon. That would be like me right now going over here and taking one of these candles 
and lighting it tonight and trying to light up this church while all these other lights are burning in here. It's not going to do any good. I mean, the light of that candle compared to these lights that's burning in here is nothing compared to that. When that day comes, the glory of God is going to be so bright, it's literally going to outshine the sun. But now the sun and the moon will be present, and for the other parts of the earth where the holy city is not at, the sun and the moon will do just like it does now. It'll be daylight during the day, the moon will be shining at night. But when you're in that holy city, you ain't going to know whether the sun is shining or the moon is shining because God's going to be there shining constantly, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And what a time that's going to be. All right, let's look at verse 24, Revelation 21, verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Now that talks about and tells us that there are going to be two classes of people on the earth at that time. There's going to be those of us who have the glorified body, that will incorporate every person that's ever been saved from the time of Adam and Eve right on up to the first resurrection, the rapture of the church. Every single person there, when the rapture takes place, will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Corruption is going to put on incorruption. Mortality is going to put on immortality. And we're going to have a glorified body when the rapture takes place and forever we'll be with the Lord at that time. So you have that group of people. The other group of people that will be on the earth at that time are going to be people just like you and I are right now in physical, natural bodies, and they'll live forever and ever in their natural bodies. So that's the two classes of people that will be on the earth at that time. And the leaders of the world at that time are going to come and give glory and honor to God. Can you imagine what this world would be like now if the leaders of the world would give glory and honor to God? This world would be a different place. Um, let's look at verse 25, Revelation 21, verse 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no more night there. Walls and gates, back in ancient times, they were built around cities to keep the enemy out. They were always closed at night, and they were closed during the day if the enemy was, was about to come in and a war was going on and, and or whatever the case. But in the New Jerusalem, we have these walls that are 216 feet tall with 12 gates three on each side, all the way around that city. And these gates are going to be open all the time because there's not going to be any enemies there. The enemies have been defeated. And there'll never be another enemy to come against the Lord. Verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Now this speaks of some type of commerce. I don't know what it will be. 
I've not read of anyone that knows. But there'll be some type of commerce at that time. Verse 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Now this does not mean that outside of the city there are those types of things out in the world. And the angels are guarding those gates to keep these things out. That's, that, this means that those things are no longer in existence. Those things have been wiped away. They're gone. They'll, they'll be here no more at all, period. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, everyone at that time, whether they're the glorified saints or whether they're people in their natural bodies, everybody's going to be saved at that time. And how are they going to be saved? The same way they are right now. Simple faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary. Aren't you glad your name is written there in that Lamb's book of life? Glory to God. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.